This evening, we're going to be talking a little bit about, I guess all about, the whole message is about prayer um, and becoming circle makers. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means in a little bit. Um, but first, I don't know if you guys are aware or not, but it's basically Christmas time. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but Christmas is kind of in full effect right now. If you go to the store, there's Christmas music, there's Christmas decorations, everything is Christmas. Everywhere you go is Christmas. You look outside. Okay, not outside these windows, but you look outside any other windows, and there's Christmas lights, there's decorations. Christmas is upon us. I don't know if you know or not, but Christmas is one of the most wonderful times of the year. It seems like everyone... It seems like everyone is happy and full of joy and excited. But the reality is that there is also a side of Christmas that is full of hurt. Christmas, when I think of Christmas, obviously I think of, of Jesus coming as a baby and I think of, of all the good things, but I think we kind of overlook the not-so-good things. We overlook the people who, who may be stuck in the hospitals over this Christmas, who people who maybe not don't have friends or family to celebrate with. There is people going through hard times during this most wonderful time of the year. Maybe that's you tonight, maybe it's not, but there is people out there. This message I want to talk about tonight is not necessarily a Christmas message, but I believe prayer is kind of a part, as Christians, it's a part of everything we do in life, every part of our lives, and Christmas just happens to be part of that. So prayer is part of Christmas, so it all kind of goes together. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight. Um, so I got a question for you. Would you classify yourself as being a person who is continually devoted to prayer? You don't have to answer out loud. Would you say that you are a person of prayer. Now there's a difference between a person of prayer and a person who prays. Everyone has prayed sometime in their life, everyone prays now and then, but are you a person of prayer, someone who is continually devoted to praying? As Christians and as a church body, it's vitally important for us to remain in a spirit of prayer, to learn how to pray. So, um, part of the message that I want to talk about is this book um, called The Circle Maker by a guy named Mark Batterson. Some of you may or may not have heard him. Um, I got this book in 2013 while on a missions trip to Washington, D.C. They gave us kind of a little gift package to say thanks for coming to our church. And this was in it. I got the book and I said, oh, this looks really cool. And I put it down and I never really read it. I got back from the trip, kind of lost it, found it maybe a year or two later. I read the first chapter, and I was like, oh, this looks really good. I'll get back to that. And I didn't get back to it. And you know the story. In the past summer, um, I'll, at Big Lake Camp, I always take a book with me to Big Lake Camp. I never read a book while I'm there, but I always take a book with me. Um, and this was the book that I took, and I went down to the lake, and I just started reading it, and God kind of inspired me. And he kind of showed me um, different views, different ideas of what prayer is or how we should pray, stuff that I never necessarily thought of or knew before, even though it was kind of common sense. It's kind of one of those things that you should know, that it's kind of obvious, but you really don't. Um, and so this is, yeah, that's kind of what I want to talk about is what it means to be a circle maker. What does it mean to be a circle maker in regards to prayer? So answer this question, um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to all turn to Joshua chapter 6. <clears throat> While you're flipping there, 
or scrolling there, whatever you do or whatever you use to read the scriptures. I just want to kind of give you a background of what's, what's going on before we get into um, our passage. Basically, the children of God, also known as the Israelites, they've just been led out of sla uh, slavery from Egypt by a man named Moses. I think we're all kind of familiar with Moses. Um, they're journeying on their way to the promised land. We all probably, we all probably know that's the story, so it's nothing new to you, but we know, if you know this story, we know that they were going to a land, um, the promised land, the land that God promised them. And it's a land that was flowing with, what was it? Milk and honey. Now, I don't know if maybe you're like, ooh, that sounds awesome for me. Milk and honey, I mean, I like milk, but it doesn't, it's not as cool to me. I think, I think if it was in modern times, God would probably have a land flowing with, well, there'd be Pepsi for sure. Um, and you can fill in the blanks with what else it is. I think a Pepsi and pizza is kind of a dynamic duo. I don't know if, you can, if pizza can flow, but anyway. Basically, I know, I... <laughs> Actually, it wasn't Dale. It was my grandfather. You can blame him. Um, but basically, what this land was, this promised land, was absolutely amazing. It was awesome. Um, and it was going to be the Israelites' home for as long as the world would endure. But there was a problem. As they were on, this way, on their way to, toward this land that God promised them, Moses sent out 12 people to go and kind of scope out the land, to go see what it's like, 12 spies. Um, so after 40 days of spying on the, out the promised land, the 12 men, they come back and they tell Moses, they say that, you know, this place is awesome. There's, there's fruit. There's many resources. This place is going to be great. But there's a small, well, a big problem. There's, there's giants living in this land. Now, only two out of the 12 spies believed that they could actually conquer this land and go into this place that God had promised them. So because they failed to trust God and obey him fully, God um, decided to punish them, to punish Israel, by forcing them to spend 40 years in the wilderness. I don't think there's anybody here, no offense, that's, well, maybe, anybody here around 40 years old? Cool. All right, moving, oh, mom's back there. You're 41, 20 years older than me. So imagine mom spending her whole life, except for one year, Living in the wilderness, that is not a great life to spend, to be a part of, except for that one year, depending whether that was before or after, who knows. Anyway, 40 years in the wilderness, wandering around with no place to call home. Now, God told the Israelites that the generation that was disobedient would not live to see the land that God had promised to them. Well, that brings us um, to the book of Joshua we're going to read in just a second. Several years have passed. The Israelites had nearly finished their wandering in the wilderness and are about to take the promised land that God told them was theirs all those years ago. And their great leader, Moses, is now dead. He's gone. And Joshua has now taken over as the new leader of Israel. And so, as Israel was about to cross the Jordan River to go into this land, only one thing stood in their way, and it was a city. And the city was Jericho. So Jericho, Jericho is described as a, a strongly fortified city with walls and a gate and then built on a hill so that anybody who tried to attack it would have to go up to take it. Um, that's in Joshua 2, 5, 7, 15, whatever. Um, as the door to the whole land of Canaan, J Jericho was the most strongly fortified city. It was basically 
you can't get in unless you have permission to. Um, so, when God told Joshua that he was going to give Jericho into their hands, you can kind of understand a little bit of what, what Joshua is going through, you know? Like, um, like, God, you know, let me get this straight. You want me to go take over this, this huge place that's basically impenetrable. You want me to take all these people who have been wandering around for the last 40 years, who are tired, they're weak, they don't have anything, they're not trained. You want me to take these people and you want me to take over the city. All right, let's do it. So, Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 to 21. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. Simple enough, right? So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets, trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then you will shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark and the Lord of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. Then on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on, the, except that, on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, the priest sounded the trumpet blast, and Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, as we look at this topic of prayer, God, and we look at, at what it means to be a circle maker, Lord, Lord, we think in our own lives, God, um, have we been faithful in prayer? Have we been constant in prayer? Are we people of prayer? So, Lord God, as we, as, we, as we hear this message that you have, God, Lord, I pray that you soften our hearts, you open our eyes, open our ears to receive all that you have for us, God. And, Lord, may, may none of us leave this place without hearing from you, God, without experiencing an encounter with you. Lord, I pray that you hide me behind your cross, God. I don't want to speak to these people, God. We only want to hear from you tonight. So, Lord, we pray these things in your awesome and your mighty name. Amen. Nah, I should be good. You can sit there. So, Joshua has this huge obstacle. The Israelites have this huge obstacle in their way. The obstacle was the city of Jericho. <clears throat> now, there's no doubt, I don't know, maybe, maybe for you it's different, but there's no doubt, I know for me personally, that we have obstacles in our lives. We've all faced obstacles in our lives. If you haven't faced an obstacle in your life, I'd love to talk to you after and see what you're doing right. But, we've all have obstacles. They might not be spelled out Jericho, but we all have them in our own individual ways. Some of, some of you or some of someone you know may spell their Jericho C-A-N-C-E-R. Some of you spell Jericho marriage problems or financial problems, especially at Christmas time. The list can go on and on. So the question is, what do you do, what do I do with our Jericho? Well, number one, we got to trust God's promises. That's exactly what Joshua was doing in this passage. In fact, the promise that God gives Joshua, we read in Joshua 1, oh, sorry, we didn't read it, but it's in Joshua 1, 1 to 3, that says, Now it came about, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to you, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Now that's in Joshua 1. We just read Joshua 6. So we see that long before they take over Jericho, that God has already promised this to, to Joshua. God made a promise, and when God makes a promise, he's really, really good at keeping these promises. Joshua had been with Moses and learned how faithful that God was at keeping his word. So God told Joshua, the promise I made Moses, I am now making to you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. So did you notice the language in that sentence? God speaks to Joshua in the past sense. He says, God says, I have given it to you. That which hasn't even happened yet is as good as done in the eyes of the Lord. And so, Joshua circled because God promised. As Joshua and the Israelites marched around Jericho day after day, I wonder if God, uh, not God, Joshua recited that promise in his head. If Joshua was, was looking at the walls of Jericho and saying, you know, in just a few days, these are going to fall flat. Even when the people may not understand, and if, if, if you know human beings, they're probably whining and complaining. Um, 
Even through that all, Joshua still circled. He still pursued. I guarantee you, people are, were probably questioning Joshua, and I'm sure there are skeptics and, you know, complainers and all that. But yet Joshua was confident that God was going to make good on his promise. So, perhaps you're me, you need to be reminded of some of God's promises to you and to the Jerichos that you are facing. See, for those of you who are sick, James 5, 15 to 16 says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. For those struggling with asking God for anything, Matthew 7, 7, 11 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him snake? If you, then though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? For those who are struggling to wonder if God even cares about your situation, if God even cares about your Jericho, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or all that we can imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Matthew 28.20 says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, those are the promises that we need to lean on every single day as we circle our Jerichos. We need to trust those promises as we circle our Jerichos in prayer. So the second thing we need to do with our Jerichos is we need to be specific. I think some of the problems we have in our prayers is that we aren't specific enough. We pray, pray, pray general thoughts, and, and so maybe that's why the results are just general. You know, Lord, Lord, bless them. Lord, be with them. Lord, I'm going to pray very vaguely and, uh, and just, you just handle it. And though God can work through those prayers, it's not like those prayers are just thrown out the window. God works through those prayers. God can answer those prayers. But God wants, him, wants us to ask precisely what it is that we are wanting him to do. God knows what we want, what we need before we even ask, but he wants us to ask specifically. See, Joshua was specific. He specifically circled Jericho. It wasn't just, just any old city that he was like, hey, let's go walk around that for a bit. It was the city that concerned Joshua the most. It was the city that God directed Joshua to circle. It was a very specific city. And it's the only city that Joshua and the Israelites circled. So, I want to read you a little bit of the, um, from this book here, of a, uh, another circle maker. This is the story of a guy named Honey, I believe it's pronounced. I have no idea. Anyway, it was the first century BC and a devastating drought threatened to destroy a generation, the generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory that they seemed like a false memory, and God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, 
an eccentric sage who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem who dared to pray anyway, and his name was Honi. And even if the people could no longer hear God, he believed that God could still hear them. See, when rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. But during a drought, it's the only thought. And Honi was their only hope. Famous for his ability to pray for rain, it was on this day, the day that Honi would earn his moniker. With a six-foot staff in his hand, Honey began to turn like a math compass. He, his circular movement was rhythmical and methodical, 90 degrees, 100 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He never looked up as, he, as the crowd looked on. After what seemed like hours, but had only been seconds, Honey stood inside the circle that he had drawn, then he dropped to his knees and raised his hands to heaven. And with authority of the prophet Elijah, who called down fire from heaven, Honi called down the rain. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. And the words sent a shudder down the spines of all who were within earshot that day. It wasn't just the volume of his voice, it was the authority of his tone. Not a hint of doubt. This prayer didn't originate in the vocal cords like Water from an artisan well, the words flowed from the depth of his soul. His prayer was resolute, yet humble, confident, yet meek, expectant, yet unassuming. And then it happened. As his prayers ascended to heaven, raindrops descended to the earth. An audible gasp swept across the thousands of congregants who had encircled him, and every head turned heavenward as the first raindrop parachuted from the sky. But Honey's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop, but Honey wasn't satisfied with his sprinkle. Still kneeling with the, in the circle, Honey lifted up his voice with sounds, over the sound of celebration and said, Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill the cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned in such a, a torrential downpour that the eyewitnesses said no raindrop was smaller than an egg in size. It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. But Honey stayed and, and prayed inside his circle. One more, he re refined his bold request and said, Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, your blessing, and your graciousness. And then, like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot and humid August afternoon, it began to rain calmly, peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And they did, didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. It had been difficult to believe the day before the day, the day after the day. It was impossible not to believe. Honey was celebrated as a hometown hero by the people whose lives he had saved, but some within the Sanhedrin called the circle maker into question. A faction believed that drawing a circle and demanding rain dishonored God. Maybe it was those same members of the Sanhedrin who would criticize Jesus for healing a man's shriveled hand on the Sabbath a generation later. They threatened Honey with the excommunication, but because the miracle could not be repudiated, Honey was ultimately honored for his act of prayerful bravado. The prayer that saved a generation was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol, and the legend of Honey the Circle Maker stands forever as a statement to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. The earth has circled the sun more than 2,000 times since the day Honey drew his circle in the sand. But God is still looking for circle makers. 
And the timeless, timeless truth secreted within the ancient legend is as true now as it was then. That bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He's offended by anything less. If your biggest prayers aren't impossible to you, then they are insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But ask God to part the Red Sea or to make the sun stand still or to float an iron axe head, and God is moved to omnipotent action. There is nothing God loves more than keeping promises, answering prayers, performing miracles, and fulfilling dreams. That's who he is. That is what he does. And the bigger the circle that we draw, the better, because God gets more glory. The greatest moments in life The greatest moments in life are the miraculous moments when human impotence and divine omnipotence intersect. And they intersect when we draw a circle around the impossible situations you find yourself in. And I'm confident that you are only one prayer away from a dream fulfilled, a promise kept, or a miracle performed. It is absolutely imperative at the outset that you come to terms with this simple yet life-changing truth that God is for you. If you don't believe that, then you'll pray small, timid prayers. If you do believe it, then you'll pray big, audacious prayers. And one way or another, your small, timid prayers or big, audacious prayers will change the trajectory of your life and turn you into two different people. Prayers are prophecies that they are the best predictions of your spiritual future. Who you become is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of your prayers becomes the script of your life. So talk about a specific prayer. Talk about knowing exactly what you want from God. So here's the truth that, that I've come to learn, is that God wants you to be specific. The more I've read, the more I've, I've looked in prayer and kind of studied it, the clearer it is that God wants us to be specific in what we're asking for. In Mark 10, we read of an interesting encounter that Jesus Christ has with a man. It's an astonishing reminder that God wants us to be specific and when we ask for him. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Mark 10, we'll read that story right quick. I thought I had a bookmark, but I guess I don't. Um, Mark 10, 46 to 52. You got it? Go for it.
Do you think it's a coincidence that this encounter that Jesus has with this man takes place in Jericho? The same city that Joshua specifically circled. I don't think so because I don't really think that there's coincidences with God. So, so here in this city that Joshua, Joshua intentionally was looking to God to do something big, 450-ish years later, a blind man stops Jesus by asking generally, Lord, have mercy on me. But you know what Jesus did? He asked for the blind man to be brought near, and Jesus asked the blind man a very interesting question. He says, I wonder, he's, sorry, a very interesting question. It's very pointed question. A very specific question. I think God kind of asks us the same question of, what do you want me to do for you? And it's only after the blind man tells Jesus exactly what he wants from him that Jesus heals him and sends him on his way. This message of being, of being specific is what we ask God for, is a message that is reiterated time and time again. James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So tonight, I want to ask you this question. What exactly do you want God to do with your Jericho? Do you want your cancer to be healed? Do you want your child to return to the faith? Do you want rain to pour down from heaven? Do you want a mountain to be moved? You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We need to be specific. So, tonight, I want you to ask, answer the same question that Jesus asked the blind man of, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Be specific. Rely on God's promises. See what happens. Take a moment to just pray for your Jericho. And then just keep praying for it until that Jericho comes down. So we're going to move into our concert of prayer tonight. I don't know if there's the list of stuff to be on the screen. So if you want to come to the altars tonight, then that's awesome. Pray for the requests on, on the screen, coming to the screen. Pray for the, the answers to prayer. Rejoice in that. Pray for your Jericho tonight. As we go through this Christmas season, we need to remember to just, just pray. I was saying, I think it was to Dad earlier, of... Christmas seems to be people trying to commercialize, you know, Santa and all that, and Christians trying to, to be like, hey, put Christ back in Christmas. But I think it's important, and we often forget to keep Christ in ourselves during this season as well. We get caught up in everything else. So tonight, present your circle to God. Circle it until that Jericho comes down.